Hello and welcome to WordChat. I'm Grant. I'm Joey. And today we are in the specific, specific specific war. Specific war. We are in a specific war. In We're in a specific war. war every episode. Yeah. But it's one that people often get tripped up on because you have specific and then you have Pacific. And this is our fourth episode in six parts of World War Two. So, it's a, every. I feel like that each as every, as every episode goes on, it just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. Longer and longer. Escalated. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. More escalation. Anyways, but thank goodness you're a specific expert. So. Specific. I wouldn't call myself a specific expert. Yeah, but at least you're a specific expert on this theater. I do have more history of studying into it than some other areas because of my interest in General yeah. Douglas MacArthur. Yeah. Greatest general ever. Yeah. Then then there's the next one after him, Norman. Storm and Norman. Storm and Norman. Anyways, so really people only look at the uh, Pacific War as beginning on June the 7th, 1941. Mm-hmm. And as a common misperception, it really started in the early 30s with the invasion of Manchuria by the Japanese. Well, you have that whole conspiracy theory about, you know, it's starting in like the 1800s or 1700s, whatever you're saying. The ball does start rolling. In 18, I believe it was like 1855, whenever a U.S. uh, naval ship sailed into Tokyo Harbor. And it wasn't like an attack or anything. It was actually just a um, goodwill meeting, Mm -hmm. basically saying, hey, we're we're the U.S., United States, um, and we're the modern world. Because for... I'm not sure at the exact dates, but it's going to be the end of the medieval ages. The U.S. closed, I mean, the Japanese closed off all connection with anybody else in the outside world. And the main reason for that actually was the spread of Christianity. Mm -hmm. During the medieval ages, missionaries started coming to Japan from Europe and the Japanese emperor who would have, isn't like Shinto or something, isn't, isn't it the Shinto religion, I believe, is the name of their religion? The Maybe. Religion. I don't anyways, know. Anyways, it, it's different than all the other religions. You know, you typically have just like Buddhist in Asia, but it's different, it's different. Uh, different name. Different name. Different name. Different name. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know not all of Asia is Buddhist, but that's one of the leading religion yeah. in Asia. Um, but yeah, so it, it, I I do say that the ball did start rolling really in the 1850s in the fact that they started a plan for war then to conquer the the whole of the Pacific. And when all this when all this really started rolling with especially when it really was started off after Pearl Harbor that's what really kicked the ball but 
Um, what do you think about, uh, see, I, I know it comes from a lot of different stories, but what do you think about the whole conspiracy theory? I don't, it's not much of a theory anymore. It's more of fact, but people tend to uh, really, really uh, play it up that um, the president at the time and his uh, cabinet uh, knew about uh, Jap- the Japan starting to ramp up and they actually estimated an attack that would come before Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor. And a lot of people say they knew about it and they wouldn't do anything about it. And they almost suspected that an attack was coming. What do you think about that? I actually do not know that much about FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, I do know, I've heard a lot of people say that they believed he was communist and other names as well. Mm-hmm. He did start Social Security and stuff like that. People would call, would call him socialist. And one thing that throws off alarms for me is the fact that he is the only president who has ever went for four terms. Four terms? Four terms. Yes. He is and, the only president. And four years are in one term, right? Yeah, four years in one term. So, so that would be 12 years, I believe. No. No, 16. 16. Yeah, Dang, 16 years. 16 years as president. He did not complete the whole four terms, but he was elected for... Dad, come. But... I mean, people must have really liked him. <laughs> no, the only reason why he was elected was money. He declared he, no. He declared a state of emergency after World War II started. Mm-hmm. So he had everything to gain to be reelected by letting the war start. So, are you exactly saying this sounds a lot more like Emperor Palpatine? Uh, Good comparison. See, like I said, like I started off, I do not know. I have not expressly just studied. He's in office for way freakishly longer than you're supposed to be. Because of a war. And because of the war, and he's able to wiggle his way in and get more power. Just like the Emperor, I'm just saying. It's fresh in my mind. I just watched Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I cannot speak directly to his plans or actions, but all I do know is there are some stuff that sets off some alarms to me. Now, going back to the Pearl Harbor thing, everybody could have predicted an attack at some point by the Japanese. But I don't believe that there was a glowing banner out there saying the Japanese are going to attack on December the 7th mm-hmm. at Pearl Harbor. Because you've got to also remember... The attack could come, the big, the larger the attack, and these sometimes get mis- missed, is Pearl Harbor was not the only U.S. possession in the Pacific that got attacked. Yeah, because it was at Wake Island was one of them. Wake Island, Guam, Wiped and out. the Philippines. Yeah, there's actually there's a good uh, the gear, there's a good old, very old war movie about Wake Island. Really good war movie about the uh, soldiers that put up a, a gallant fight there. Yeah, and it's missed that. Those were also attacked. It's made, yeah, they they were on December the seventh on Wake Island, and a lot of people forget about that. Well, they were actually see. I guess why it lived out is because it was a larger attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, but Wake Island was held off. I believe it was for almost a month. Mm-hmm. As did I'm. I'm not sure how long Guam held its 
on the Navy held Guam. But I do know that for most of the war, the Philippines were not held by the U.S., but there were still U.S. and native Filipino forces that basically went to guerrilla mode. They stayed in the brush, attacked the Japanese when they could, harassed them when they could. But there was still, there was activity in the Philippines, I know for certain. Oh, yeah. Clear through the war by the U.S. and native forces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, see, that's the thing that I'm saying is it wasn't just Pearl Harbor that got attacked. Yeah. Actually, the only U.S. holding in the Pacific that didn't get attacked on December the 7th was Midway. Mm-hmm. Midway was the only U.S. Islander holding the Pacific that didn't get attacked. Of course, that would come later in uh, 1942. I believe it was the summer of 1942. Um, but anyways, yeah. Pearl Harbor really is what people, especially in the U.S., consider as the start of the Pacific War. And, and you know, I know... The- you don't want to discredit or anything because Pearl Harbor was how terrible it was. It shook more, but it is just cool to bring up that there are other Wake Island and Guam. There were other areas that were, that were cool stories in themselves. I just mean the uh, heroics of the dudes that were fighting at Wake Island. I just mean, it was great. It was a faint, one of the famous last stands that they fought to the last man to try to protect it. And actually, if you look at the numbers, you pull up the numbers, comparatively, if you take it and compare it in this sense, there's higher casualties at, there's a higher casualty rate at some of the other places than at Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. More people died at Pearl Harbor, but I'm pretty sure if you look at the casualty rate, there's more of the amount of people who were there i guess it's even worse too because i guess pearl harbor more civilians died when wake island was a military post and there you know soldiers actually fighting but you know so many civilians no one had warning so it was kind of a unjust kind of war because you know the soldiers of wake island they knew good and well what was going on and they it near the end they realized that they weren't getting out so and actually, there was a civilian population on Wake Island as well. Mm-hmm. It was a native population, but it was it was still a civilian population on Wake Island, um, as in most places. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure what the status is of Wake Island today. I know Guam is still a U.S. holding in the Pacific, and the Philippines is a free... Anyways, the... Uh, the main yeah, thing about the Pacific said. theater in a whole is, you know, and sometimes this is it, it's a controversial subject. And you can't really say yes or no, because every theater we have talked about and will continue to talk about, it seems like it just gets worse. But I mean, I could you could probably it's safe to say that Pacific and the Eastern Front were probably the both the most deadly. And it's really it's controversial whether to put one over the other. Because I feel like it just both were so tremendously uh, bloody and horrific. And as far as uh, the war crimes and the really uh, 
harsh side of war, both were just so rampant in the theaters. I don't really know which one to put over one, if you can put one over one. But I do know the Pacific is like the largest theater as far as, you know, global wise, so much area. I mean, there's so much stuff going on. And it was one of the, the I mean, the awful atrocities that were going on there for the war crimes in Japan and stuff. Well, actually, here's the very um, kind of lighter side, maybe not lighter, but it's kind of funny to think about is the Pacific Theater, the travel to get to the different locations that the battles took place on was thousands of miles in between each or at least a thousand miles, typically a hundred miles, you know, you know, it was a large distance for about for on average, each Island was about 10 miles area space. Mm-hmm. The, actually, there was a lot that were, were a lot less land area, but if you just take them an average amount, it was about 10 miles. And that, that's just the, complete area space of the whole island was just 10 miles mm-hmm. and so it, it is kind of weird to think about it in that way because for such a little piece of ground but still it's a large much larger theater and this is so when also- this is when this the the asian reds come in is just the uh in this conflict, too, there was so much uh, just kind of it was almost like a foreshadowment of Vietnam that the the powers of Japan were in themselves uh, uh, committing mass genocides to especially uh, Christians, uh, Asian Christians. And they were using the use uh, chemical warfare. They were using it against using gas on to wipe out towns and stuff. So it's already kind of starting, I feel like, from the other theaters. This theater was much more horrific as far as the the methods. It was starting to get much more dirty, you could say. Yeah, and, then, and to your genocide against Christians. Now, this, I, I don't know where the story came from, but I have heard the story that it was in China that there was a... Uh, a church in a town and it was after the Japanese took over and the pastor and some of the elders just wanted to have one more service because all the church doors in China had been locked down because the Japanese went and locked all the churches and um, they went to the Japanese commander of that town you know who was in charge of keeping everything orderly and just begged him to have one last Sunday service just one last just to, you know, just so the people felt a little bit better. And he agreed. And uh, so on the Sunday that they had picked and they opened the church, it was packed door to door, you know, wall to wall, completely full. And they started singing. And as they started singing, they heard the, all the windows and doors slap shut and get locked. And the Japanese lot, uh, lit the church on fire. And so that's just an example of some of the genocide yeah. uh, by the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And, but like I said, I don't know where that story came from. Well, there was um, plenty like it. I just mean, that was the, yeah, that was the kind of stuff that was going on. And I just mean, and then the, the, the prison camps are so awful that the way they treated and the pictures you've seen of, 
you know, POWs being rescued and stuff. I mean, they just, it was awful conditions. They just starve them to death or torture them. They would kill them, execute. There's a famous picture of a Australian sergeant uh, that was about to be beheaded for no apparent reason by a katana. So plenty of different accounts of just, just killings of POWs. Um, so it was just a very, very awful, awful time. Yeah, and something that people typically miss is that China was involved in the Pacific mm-hmm. War, even though it was called the Asian Theater. It was still a lot of a lot of the same theater, and you have some very interesting feats. And one of the thing that is interesting things that is interesting about uh, the Asian Theater is prior to the Japanese Chinese War, which started, in, I think. 1937, when the Japanese invaded China. Um, and the Chinese had to deal with Japanese, a civil war themselves, yeah, too, there, the whole time. Yes, that was there was a civil war. It was communist versus... Uh, they, sometimes, sometimes they call it nationalists. Uh, it's really best to be described really communist versus freedom yeah. in, in China. Mm-hmm. And the Civil War stopped after the Japanese invaded, and they actually worked together until, I believe, it was like 1936, and the war started back up. Mm-hmm. It ended quickly after, because everybody was tired of war, but with the help of the Russians, the communists were able to come out ahead, because... The Soviet Union, in typical Soviet Union's fashion, waited until five days before the Japanese surrendered to declare war on Japan. And in this war, besides the all the uh, atrocities going on, this the Pacific War was bait. I mean, the most uh, prominent naval uh, theater in the entire war, like no other front. The the massive just use of naval warfare and all those big battles and stuff midway including um and that you don't see in any in another war yeah it, it was it was also it was a it was a new beginning it was also the the end of old naval warfare. yeah but i'll talk about that more because i'm i, I really quickly want to lay down a timeline and run through it quickly before we run completely out of time um so, basically, you know, you have Pearl Harbor on the 7th, and then really nothing happens until about May 1942, and that's whenever you have the Battle of the Coral Sea, which is the first battle in naval history where neither side uh, surface vessels spotted each other. Neither... Neither uh, sh- uh, none of the ships on either side spotted each other. It was purely between planes, uh, planes to ship. Basically, the planes were attacking the ships. Because that's the kind of it, new that, kind of warfare. Is, you know, the ships would dock and fire each other, but then they just send off the planes and stuff and attack each other by plane. Yeah, used to you'd have to see your enemy, or at least have a pretty good idea of where he was at to be able to fight. Mm-hmm. But this was the first battle ever where there was uh, no visual contact between the ships. Um, and then you have Wake Island shortly thereafter. 
not Wake Island, Midway Island, um, shortly thereafter. And the mid uh, Midway is the is literally Midway in the Pacific. There's really nothing else there except for Midway Island, and it's kind of weird how it just sits out there by itself. Mm-hmm. But it is it is right in the center between um, the U.S. and Asia. And uh, the plan was to attack Midway, thus trapping all the uh, rest of the forces that the U.S. would send into being there, and the Japanese would slowly grind them down and then attack Pearl Harbor again with an invasion force. Um, Luckily, the U.S. had already got on the toad uh, tracking, and that's the... That's really the answer of the whole war is the U.S. code crackers were so advanced and so good at what they did. They were really the all-stars of the war because they were able to crack Mm -hmm. the codes and understand what was going to happen. And so you have that that happened in Wake Island. Uh, Interesting thing, quick side point, uh, two U.S. presidents future U.S. presidents fought in uh, World War II. Both of them were in the Pacific. Uh, Pacific. I'm, I know these two at least. There may have been others that were involved, but uh, George H.W. Bush was a pilot in the Navy, and uh, John F. Kennedy was a uh, PT boat commander in the Pacific. Both of those were future U.S. presidents. Um, but I believe George Bush was involved in the battle at Midway. I'm not I'm not 100% certain on that. But I actually just was able to visit his museum. And I got to see a replica of the plane that he flew. And got to hear a little bit about uh, his time in the uh, Pacific. But anyways... Uh, then you move on down into the South Pacific at uh, at uh, Australia and New Guinea. Um, as far as I know, I did a little checking. There was never really an actual invasion of Australia. There was a planned invasion. I don't know that there was ever any troops that actually were landed. There were like some bombings on Australia. But I don't know that there was ever actual troop landings on the physical continent of Australia. But in New Guinea, there was a fight, especially for Port Moresby, which is the capital of New Guinea, and would have been the uh, complete capture of the island of New Guinea. Um, really, that's where the war begins on an offense side and where the Japanese have their first losses. Um, the Australians were amazing in New Guinea and be able to hold off the Japanese attack because they were taking the full brunt of a strong Japanese army. And then here, and then uh, they're really close. There was the uh, well, Guadalcanal, which the Guadalcanal would probably be the last time that the Japanese really had a strong uh, determination on uh, fighting 
because they were able to resupply Guadalcanal. And I'm sure you have a little bit that you know about Guadalcanal. Um, but Guadalcanal was probably the uh, fierce fighting that the uh, U.S. had. It, it was kind of a... Uh, uh, orientation by fire. It, it was hard on the guys that were there. Yeah, it was the. That's also it was the fighting of not only in the the naval combat, but I just mean the beach landing combats. Everyone talks about a D Day, of course, but I just mean there's so many different quote D Days in the Pacific theater of just the heavy uh, fighting of landing on the beaches and taking the beaches, and it's just the heavy fire coming from the Japanese outposts and stuff it was just it was fierce fierce combat in the pacific theater for ground troops actually the actually the, the landing on Guadalcanal was d-day every offensive every day every time that there's offensive that's supposed to be started the day at least that time i don't know if it still is considered this in the military but in that time Every day that there was supposed, offensive was supposed to be started, that was D Day, and then on the hour that the, the offensive was supposed to be uh, started, it was H hour. See, that's something that's something that people miss because people end up calling just D Day, Operation Overlord on June the sixth, just mm-hmm. D Day. But pretty much every offensive the U.S. was involved in, they would have referred to it at that time as D Day on H mm-hmm. hour. And I think part of that was because you could establish that date and then after that date was established, you wouldn't have to mention when it was or what time it was going to be in words. You could just say over the radio, D-Day and H-Hour. Mm-hmm. Thus, it would confuse people. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of the start of the war. Really, it was fighting in the in the marshals and uh, Guadalcanal and um, the, and New Guinea, which really took up the first year of the war. You got to remember, this is whenever uh, Midway happened and the start of Guadalcanal and stuff like that. This was still in 1942. Um, and 1943 was mostly the same. Really, you didn't need to get farther farther up into the northern, the farther up northern of the Pacific until 1944, and even 45, getting to like Lady Goth and the upper part of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then uh, it spread into you, uh, even the India area and Burma. Yeah. yeah, that that is missed also in a lot of scenarios. People just talked about the attack on the Philippines and not so much India and Burma and the fact that um, I think it was the Burma Road got taken, part of the Burma Road got captured by the Japanese. So they made the leader road um, by hand that happened very quickly. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that gets missed a lot is the India campaign. Um Anyways, yeah, uh, the strategy mostly of the war for at least uh, General Douglas MacArthur was island mm-hmm. hopping. Basically, you 
would attack island and then if the next island you felt like it was too fortified or it would take too many troops or it was too big to occupy or something like that you would skip over that island and attack the next one in the line mm-hmm. basically you cut off the supply line and they die like they they don't die necessarily but they yeah. get weakened so i don't really know for certain because i don't know how connected they were but i'm i know in some scenarios there were a lot of japanese forces that were still fighting even after the surrender well there's that story and you it was even, uh you talked about uh, that actually it was a single japanese soldier that was still on guard in an island and they I, I, it is supposed to be the it, yeah I believe and when was it like the when 80s the, when they like found him it all right, so it is said that it was all right. So here's the story in a nutshell: there was a guy. He was a he was the last Japanese soldier, and I think it was actually the seventies. Um, last fine Japanese soldier, but he had been left. I think it was in the Philippines. He had been left behind to be kind of an inside guy. So because the Japanese were still thinking that they were invisible, that they would come back yeah. to the Philippines. They would counterattack the Philippines. They basically just told him, "You can't kill yourself. Stay, and we'll get you." Yeah, yeah. The, he, they were, he was supposed to be recontacted mm-hmm. by his commander on for a reattack. There was four guys yeah. that got left, and they were all supposed to kind of harass the enemy, get information about it, mm-hmm. and everything. And so, within like the first couple, of, I think it was even in the first year. One got shot, and then like the other two got captured or surrendered, and he was the last one standing. And they've, and I believe actually after, um, it was over, after they found him and stuff, that they found records that he had kept about, uh, different stuff like troop strengths and stuff like that. What he had kept his records. Um, but anyways, he would attack villages mostly with no military anywhere around and just like raid the town just mm-hmm. for fear, just to fear, pe- just to make people fear. And it actually took them going to Japan. Luckily, his commander was still alive because he believed. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. When any when anyone would tell him. Any, yeah, anybody, anybody would tell him. They, they, he thought it was just a trick. I mean, they couldn't get really close to him, but they could, like, megaphone yeah. talk to him, basically. I mean, they never really captured him because they couldn't. Um, plus, if they would have captured him, somebody probably would have yeah. ended up getting killed. So they had to go all the way to Japan, and luckily his commander was still alive, but he was very elderly. I've heard it told that he was in a nursing home now, I don't know that 100% certain, so don't hold me to that. But they went to him, and I believe he was wheelchair-bound. So they had to take him all... They had to get him and take him all the way to the Philippines just to tell this guy that he... that the war was over, that he could mm. surrender, and that that actually the, ja- the, the Japanese and the U.S. were now yeah. friends with each other. They weren't at odds anymore. And so, but 
and after that, he was fine. Like he, he just went on with his life after that. But yeah, that that is kind of there. There was isolated incidents like that that happened, and I, I, and that's the one that's told the most. But I'm sure there's other places yeah. that happened too. Um, but there should be some Japanese who just went into normal life without having their commander to tell them. They just kind of like ended up becoming one of the islanders. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is most likely an incident that could have happened in multiple places across the Pacific. Um, it would have been hard to do it in New Guinea though, because the natives of New Guinea, um, had a very strong warrior culture Mm -hmm. for a long time. I'm sure you've heard a little bit about New Guinea's, New Guineans, um, up until uh, even the sixties, until missionaries actually went to the isolated part, of New, the isolated parts of New Guinea, they were still headhunters and um, warring with each other, and they had done that for centuries and centuries, and they had fought uh, in numerous battles with each other, and actually, that's part of what got a lot of soldiers through safely through the war was friendly uh, natives who taught them how yeah. to fight in the jungle. How to hide themselves in the jungle and stuff like that. Because the Japanese had learned that. I don't think they learned it from natives, but they had learned it themselves. How to hide in jungles. And had, I believe you told me a story a long time ago of a unit getting, a U.S. unit getting massacred because a bunch of Japanese like uh dressed themselves up in like bloody clothes and stuff and felt and like laid on the ground yeah that's actually uh, a story uh actually a book about it um the name has escaped me but there uh it was it was like an entire unit of american troops that were walking through a field and walking around all these dead japanese and all of a sudden they came up and killed all of them so they used that kind of tactics and then the crazy they're Bonsai charges left and right. Is they were a serious, serious enemy to to fight. Bonsai charges are not crazy. They are very. Oh yeah, crazy. but just you don't want to be on the opposite side, I guess. No. And no. plus, they would that's, you that's know blow themselves right up there. and stuff, and plant bombs on dead bodies and stuff, or they just throw themselves upon you with grenades all over the place. So, and and now you can understand why World War II was one of the first wars that PTSD was actually a um, diagnosed uh, mm-hmm. thing. And some people say that they don't believe in PTSD. I mean, there's oh, a yeah. mental factor that goes there. It's just such a more brutal war. Yeah, it, it compared to even World War One, it was so much more brutal. And you hear more about the PTSD in the Pacific than you do in um, Europe, because the the Nazis were evil and they were bad and they did a lot of bad stuff, but they didn't hold a candlelight to the Japanese yeah. on the battlefield. Um, because, you know, most of the troops that fought with the Nazis were actually German soldiers. Mm-hmm. They were not Nazis. The Nazis were evil. Germans, like, we've, we went around the circle a million times before. 
Germans were just there because mm-hmm. they were Germans. Because their nation had a leader who declared war on the rest of Europe, and they were just there because they mm-hmm. were patriotic. Anyways, um, important important thing that a lot of people, people miss also, I've said this a lot, that people miss this, is the Emperor of Japan was not the leader of the Japanese forces that fought in World War II. His name was used for that, but he was not. See, in I believe it's Shinto, or I don't know. Anyways, the religion, emperor, the emperor is God yeah. to them. And basically, if the emperor tells you to do it, even die, you do it, and mm-hmm. you're honored for that. Um, basically, before before World War Two. The if the emperor commanded for you to be executed, and he told you to do it yourself, you still end up being used. You killed yeah. yourself basically, because that's how dedicated they were to their emperor, which is a admirable thing. Not not everything they did, but just how how um, loyal they were is the admirable thing. They they were so loyal to death itself, which is amazing, and is actually loyalty like that is good in in yeah. some scenarios. Um, but yeah, that 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 is a that is a the Pacific War, and I hope one day to come back and do a series purely breaking down this uh, Pacific War. Because I have felt cramped just doing this episode. Oh yeah, because there's so much. There's so much to talk about. There's so many, and and being the largest, you know, theater. There's just so many different areas and conflicts conflicts to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and another important notice because after. After we get done with World War II, we'll be going to Korea and Vietnam. Most of your guys that were involved in the in the Pacific in the specific Pacific theater, especially generals, were involved in the Korean War. Now, most were most were retired by Vietnam, but the Korean War, there were a lot of generals and ranking officers that were still uh, the same. Um. Anyway, so you have the Philippines, you have Iwo Jima. Uh, Iwo Jima is regarded as one of the most bloody, bloody battles mm-hmm. for the U.S. And one of the last big, uh, one of the last big field battles of the Pacific War. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There was one battle after that, and that was the last battle. But I can't, I and can't of course, Iwo Jima is the the me. battle with the famous picture of the Marines hoisting up the American flag. That was a one of those pictures yeah. is just a pose. One of the pictures is the real one. One is a pose, which both yeah. are just as uplifting. But I I do have to admit the one with the pose does look a good bit more uh, patriotic with. Like Tim Marines uh-huh. hoisting a huge flag up. Um, 
and you do have the liberation. I did miss this going to Iwo Jima. You have the liberation of a lot of the prison of war camps in the Philippines, including General Wainwright, I believe was his name. He was taking command mm-hmm. to General Douglas MacArthur. Um, and there was a British general there too. I'm not sure of his name. I think it was like Archie or something. It's like Archibald something. Um, but Wainwright was a healthy looking guy whenever he, the last known picture of him before he was captured. And afterwards, he was. Yeah. Skinny it's bones. real. It's, it's terrifying seeing the pictures of the POWs after when they were liberated. I mean, they, they look like living skeletons, basically. Yeah. Well, what's even more terrifying is. Wainwright was the highest ranking officer captured by the Japanese from the mm-hmm. U.S., or at least I think he was. And I believe yeah. he was a three-star general. And they treat... Well, I guess they're consistent, though. They were consistent. They treated everybody the same way. Um, but that's just the scariest thing. Yes, in wars, officers, especially your generals and stuff, get more... Yeah. More luxury. But evidently Wainwright did not. Like if the Germans would have captured a three star general, he probably would never have saw really barbed wire. He would have been more kept in like yeah. a castle where he could be interrogated but, but not still feel at home. <laughs> in prison. Yeah. Well that's on that that is true about I know at least in World War One and some of your like colonels in World War Two even got some pretty luxurious treatment. Um, more th- more so than mm-hmm. some of your enlisted guys, because of what they may know. And to the Germans, if they were captured, somebody of Wainwright, basically to put this in pr- perspective, um, not because he had as big a feat, but. In the knowledge that he would have had would have been equivalent to Patton's yeah. knowledge. Because they both would have had the same amount of experience. So basically, the Japanese captured the equivalent of Patton in the Pacific. And they treat him like garbage. Is It shows me that they are completely insane. Or at least the commanders were completely insane. Um, and yeah, I, I did mess mess up on that. The who was who was pulling the strings in Japan was not the emperor. I know I said that already. The people who were pulling yeah. the strings was his war council, which were basically evil. They're basically they were evil, but in terms of like how we even think of it, they would be like the nobility mm-hmm. of England during the medieval ages. They're the ones that wage the war. Yeah. The king just kind of affirms it. That's the same. That's the same scenario with the War Council, the Japanese War Council. Um, but yeah. Uh, then you come to Nagasaki and Hiroshima, mm-hmm. and I bet you can't guess what that is. And there's there's split kind of uh, it's a controversial subject as to the decision making. As far as what happened at Nagasaki and Hiroshima, 
lots of controversy as to the choice that was made to drop the atomic bombs. Yeah, it it is very controversial. Um, it is it is an interesting thing that they were both the first and last atta- uh, atomic tats, atomic bomb attack. Yeah, which is good, but it kind of escalated to where a full scale war would never yeah. really be waged again. Which, in a way, is a good thing and a bad thing. Um. You know, it 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 start. It was what the Cold War was made of. It was really what determined what the Cold War was. Going to and be. how you look at it too is, um, if they had not done it, we really could only estimate and really know how it would really end up. I feel like we'd have more trouble keeping Japan in line and keeping all of the leaders of Japan. I feel like we could have had a harder time. Um, if we had not dropped the atomic bombs, because once we did that, it was basically, we showed them that, you know, it was pointless to, to keep trying. But I feel like we hadn't, you know, you never know as far as, they're already crumbling, but as far as just how harder it would have been to kind of control them. The biggest argument, the biggest argument that people have against the atomic bomb attacks is that the Navy could have just blockaded Japan and then we could have just started tradition, yeah. uh, traditional bombing campaign. But if you look at that and you look at the casualties taken in Germany and places like that, the casualty count would have been higher than the atomic bomb attack. If you've taken... That that at least that's what I've heard, is that the casualty count would have been just as yeah. high, if not higher, for the Japanese, and that also would have brought into account also that there have been casualties on the, yeah. on the uh, Allied side. And I do not blame the U.S., especially after finding Wade mm-hmm. Wainwright in the condition he was in, for dropping the atomic bomb on. And just after the experiences of Pearl Harbor, what had happened there, and just the atrocities that Japan had committed, you know, you you can't you got to put yourself in the shoes of America back then. So many people can really talk their mouths off about how bad a decision that was, but I just mean, what you need to do is put your shoes into the American person and think of how they would have felt at that time. Because I mean, it's easy enough to talk about it now because that's back in the 40s. I just mean everyone can just run their mouth now about it because they've never, for one, they've probably never experienced anything that Americans had experienced. Um, and not to mention the families that had lost so many of their sons or husbands fighting over there. All these people today have never lost anything in their life and they don't understand that. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You don't need to put your, you don't need to walk in the shoes of just an American person. You need to walk in the shoes of mm-hmm. a American mother, or father, who their old, their oldest son was at Pearl Harbor, and was killed in the uh, surprise attack, and then your other three sons are now 
in the Navy or, or in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. fighting the Japanese. Or in the Army. There, that's another thing that's missed is the Army did yeah. play a role in the Pacific, mm-hmm. which is missed a lot of times. Um, and so that that is you have to walk and in those it's shoes. something interesting to point out uh you've probably heard something similar to this or have heard of this of the japanese uh scorched earth plan which was kill all burn all loot all have you heard of that uh, yeah uh sounds familiar no, I do know the. I knew. I yeah, knew the but that's just that's just a, a glimpse of, of where Japan. exactly Japan was at at this time. Kill all, burn all, loot all. So, you know, when you mess around with stuff and you commit atrocities, you have to be expecting to get it returned. The whole golden rule saying is, you know, do unto others as you would want them to do to you, and that's just basically. What happened is, you know, people don't look at that, but when you commit so many atrocities in the war, you have to know that you're not going to end very well. And just like how the Nazis were in Germany. I mean, look at how they ended. Most of them ended up shooting themselves, poisoning themselves, killing all their families, then killing themselves. You know, it's just not a good end to to all that. And especially (laughs) for the Japanese. That's but some of the Germans got the floor just dropped mm-hmm. out from under them at Nuremberg. What? You know what killed them? It wasn't the floor falling out from under them that killed them. It was the sudden stop at the end. The sudden stop at the end? Uh-huh. Most, there was like 20 top Nazis that got hummed at... The trial. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. At the number yeah. trial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but see, so here's here's a good argument for the people against the people who say that the atomic bombs were completely unethical. The U.S. was just helping them get the short per mm-hmm. short <laughs> earth policy started. Uh huh. They thought the U.S. was just jump starting it. They just they they. They answered them with their own right. policy. They basically all they did was just answer Japan's yeah. policy, and that was their policy: kill all, burn all, loot all. Like, so, they're like, so that's your plan. So, how about we give mm-hmm. you a little example of what <laughs> that'll be like? And evidently, it worked yep. because the emperor called for a surrender. Um. But yeah, that 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 the war in the Pacific was definitely very deadly and the darkest deadly. and probably just it's very yeah very very dark conflict. It, it's really it's a foreshadowment yeah. of it, it, Vietnam. I see just very similarities. It's just really a foreshadowment of exactly. I, I don't know what it's it about with 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 Asian wars. It's just they they just get they just get really dark. Call of Duty did a simulation. They don't know the difference between what oh. World War Two. 
Well, yeah, no, I wouldn't trust him for uh, historical uh, uh, historical knowledge. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They need guys like us to. We can get a job at Call of Duty and really get it historically authentic. Yeah. Heck no, you can't. You can never. You got to really. You got to go through it to understand it. No. You know. We talk so much about it. You can talk so much about it, but it really came down to the people that really had to live through this stuff. And I can't imagine, none of us can even imagine or understand, I mean, what these people went through. Not only the soldiers fighting, but I mean, the man, the people at home, the families, I mean, crazy. Getting that. Actually, actually, you could make authentic game. But your video gamer would not be able to cope with it because it is possible that you could Mm -hmm. make authentic game. Yeah. And it it would be awful. It, It would truly be awful, but yeah, it would be hard to have a very authentic game without your gamer, your... But Typical besides besides the and... besides the video game aspect, um, it's really important that we do uh, we never forget um, what these people went through and how they thought and their patriotism. That's something that is so much forgotten today in our time that that can can never be forgotten. Um, to really remember what what these people went through and what they had to go through during this time and how strong they were and how they pulled through it. And it's, it's sad because I've watched over, I mean, I've noticed it over the last probably uh, seven years more, but my whole life I've watched Mm -hmm. December the 7th come and go without really anybody thinking about it. It, it comes and goes each year. It's just an and event on the calendar, like it, Labor Day, or yeah. It's not even on the calendar. It's just a couple. It's just there. Yeah, it's on calendars. The calendars and I've I had, think... it's on there. Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. It's just yeah. another event. You know, no one really yeah. stops and thinks about it. Like, oh wait, what is that? It's just oh yeah. And I think even your even your history channels have probably been stopped mm-hmm. running as much as what they used to in remembrance of Pearl Harbor. I know, well, actually, I don't know 100%. The last time I knew, like, four years ago, there was a 9-11 special mm-hmm. on 9-11. But that's kind of what, it's a, it's the same scenario. And there's actually a song called "America Standing St- uh, Tall Tonight," and it's a, it says the whole world yeah. remembers the seventh of December. Um, and then it goes on and says, "And then who could forget uh, September the eleventh, and yeah. that America is still standing strong." Um, and it and I love that song because it mentions two tr- tragedies. That people should remember. I don't love the tragedy, but it's. Tra- mm-hmm. I love that somebody is remembering the tragedy, and that 
it that it's still important to some people still today. And speaking of Pearl Harbor and 9-11, um, we're planning, I don't know if it'll be on 9-11 or if we'll do it sooner, but we are going to do yeah. a purely 9-11 special. Just purely talking about 9-11. We know that's not necessarily war. Well, it is, but it's more in the geopolitical yeah. and uh, terrorist realm. Which we are that'll probably be our last episode of the American series in our... before we move on. Yeah, but even though we even though we will be ending our first season and series, um, yeah, we well, actually will be going back, come back, then actually, to... yeah, we will be going back all the way to ancient times. Yes. And we will be doing ancient times, but look forward if you're if you're World War Two geek, we yeah. will be returning to it, especially World War Two. Um, and maybe a surprise, maybe we'll come in the middle of our hit in, mm. in our ancient time stuff. We may just throw it in there, you know. Oh, because yeah. I know that's more familiar ground for me and you. Um, even though we we do have studies well ancient stuff ancient it's a warfare. it's a whole other can of worms and it's really fun to talk about as far as the roman stuff alexander the great and all the way into medieval renaissance and all the way up to crimea it's a lot of fun stuff to talk about really a lot of different stuff that we haven't talked about so we're excited for that it, it is a lot of fun. it is a lot of fun stuff the only thing you probably won't hear me cry like you do in the american because yeah. I get pretty passionate about the American conflicts. Um, especially when we talk about uh, mm. Pearl Harbor and 9-11. So you can look forward to, if you want to hear me get real passionate about something, you can look but, forward to so, the 9-11 special. Um, we'll be looking forward to that. And I guess that wraps up our Pacific War episode. Um <laughs> That we yeah, even, it was barely a little scratch a at the surface, just a little scratch to shine light. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even get clear through. It's just, it's just, it really, to be honest, it is a very mm-hmm. bad overview that we did. We did. Um, I I will hope to return for a uh uh mm-hmm. Pacific War series. And I'm sure there's people out there who probably enjoy that. Uh, another thing, again, mentioning this, we do have T-shirts. We mentioned that last week. And they are week. twenty, twenty dollar. Um, the dollar, twenty dollars. Yes. And no, we are not making a killing doing that. Um, but we do have some orders. Uh, we try to order in groups. You don't have to be in a group, but yeah. we do. We try to get ten people for an order, mm-hmm. just just because that's how we're going right now. Um, so if you do make an order and it doesn't get to you for a couple of weeks, that's probably because we were waiting to fill up our order shirts. List order for orders, but it will not. Yeah, yeah. Please order. Uh, we will mm-hmm. have them out there. We're hoping to grow our community a bit. Um, and we will see y'all in the next 
battle, which Normandy. will be in the Northern Atlantic. All right. 